Turning your Bibles to Hebrews, chap- uh, excuse me, Hebrews, Romans chapter 11. I don't know what I was, well, I'm talking about the Hebrews, but I, I guess that's where I got that from. Romans chapter 11, and I know this is quite a long passage, but I think it's important for us to read it. You can remain seated as I read this portion of God's Word. Paul's epistle to the Romans chapter 11. Just read along with me. Uh, it ought to be on the screen as we read this passage from God's Word. I ask you then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scriptures says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I long am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would be no longer grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a uh, retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, Did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Insomuch then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus to save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as the first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you Although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be ignorant towards the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of the unbelief, because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. 
Note then the kindness and the severity of God, the severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be back, grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. It is written, The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned to all disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your holy word. And we pray that you will give us understanding in the way that you seek today. That we might better understand your plan and your purpose. Truly, your ways are beyond understanding completely. We realize that. But Lord, you thank you that you have given us what we need to know. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, our teacher, that you will show us the things that you would have us to know today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we come to chapter 11, we come to the end of the doctrinal portion of the book of Romans. Okay? From chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11, it's doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. The teaching that we need to know about how we can be saved, how we can be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Not only for us Gentiles, but for the Jew as well. Chapter 9, well, that dealt with Israel's past and uh, we looked at some of the awesome privileges that Israel has received from God, and they are vast. In chapter 10, 
Roman deals with, the Romans deals with Israel's present. You know, their unbelief and insistence on pursuing a righteousness that is by works instead of faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 11, as we come to chapter 11, this deals with God's sovereign purpose behind Israel's unbelief and their future hope and salvation. Now, twice in this chapter, chapter 11, Paul asked the question, did God reject his people? Did God reject his people? Is God through with Israel? Is God finished with Israel because of their rejection of Jesus Christ, their Messiah? Twice Paul raises that question, and twice he answers with an emphatic no, absolutely not. God is not finished with Israel. You know, there are those who teach that the church has fulfilled all of the covenant promises that God has made with Israel. All of these promises must now be applied to the church. Nothing could be further from the truth. Paul in Romans chapter 11 knocks the legs out from under that false view. So let's turn to this wonderful chapter, and let's take a look at Paul's answer to the question, is God finished with Israel? Is God finished with Israel? Okay. Paul gives three reasons it is evident that God is not through with Israel. Three reasons. And the first reason is, Israel's unbelief is not total. Israel's unbelief is not total. There has always been, and there is today, a believing remnant within Israel. There is a true Israel within Israel. Now, Paul gives two examples to that. The first example is he himself, his own personal life. He says in verse 1, he says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, I'm sure you know a lot about uh, Saul of Tarsus and his past. He, He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor of the church. But God chose him. God sovereignly chose him, drew him to himself, radically changed his life on the road to Damascus, and made him a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul became the very first Christian missionary to take the gospel to the known world at that time. Now, what Paul is saying in verse 1 is simply this. He says, look at me. I'm using myself as an illustration here. He says, I'm a Jew. I'm a descendant from Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. And he gives his credentials. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin... You know, I'm a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, even tells him, tells the, the tribe that he belonged to. God has not given up on me. And if God has not given up on me, why should anyone think that God will give up on his chosen people? He will not. You know, Paul is just one example among millions of Jews through history who have believed in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. God has always had a believing remnant in Israel. And he says in verse 2, the first part of the verse, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. He is determined to bring a remnant 
in Israel to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, the second illustration that Paul uses, other than himself, is Elijah. Elijah the prophet. Now, I'm sure you remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Elijah, he defeated um, these prophets on Mount Carmel in one of the most dramatic encounters recorded in the Bible. And as a result, Queen Jezebel was after his life, sought to kill him. The nation had turned from God to worship these false gods. And Elijah, he thought that he was the only one in Israel who remained faithful to God. But he was wrong. Paul here quotes um, 1 Kings chapter 19. And let's just read the quotation again in verse 2 through 4. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I long am left and they seek my life. But what is that God's reply to them? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Poor Elijah thought that he was all alone. But there were 7,000 others in Israel who had not bowed the knee to the god Baal. Do you ever think that you're alone? I don't know what kind of background, you know, some of you have. You know, some of you might not be raised in, in Christian homes. And, and, you know, in your own family, you might be the only one that loves Jesus. Maybe at your job place, you're surrounded with co-workers, but... None of them seem like they love Jesus. Maybe in your school, you might feel like you're the only one who really loves Jesus and is committed to him. I promise you, you are not alone. God has always had his people. God has always had his people in every place. It doesn't matter where it is. And maybe God has put you where you are. To be that shining witness for Jesus Christ. No, God didn't forsake his people during the days of Elijah nor at any other time in Israel's history. There's always been a faithful remnant in Israel and there is today. Just think about it. Today in Israel and throughout the world, there are many more Christians who are Jews more than you can possibly imagine. And Paul says in verse 5, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Okay, So there's a remnant. There's a remnant of believing Jews today. We know that. It was in Paul's day and it is today. But what about the rest? What about the others? What about those who have not responded in faith to Jesus Christ? Well, Paul says that they're in spiritual darkness. He says that they're spiritually blind. And that, that's true of anyone without Christ. Not just the Jewish people, but that's true of, of Gentiles as well. If you're without Christ, you're in spiritual blindness. Your eyes, your spiritual eyes are blinded. And that was true. That's true of Israel. In verses 7 and 8, Paul says, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. They were seeking salvation, but they were seeking it the wrong way, by works, and it doesn't work. The elect, the chosen of God, obtained it. Why? Because they were trusting Christ, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, 
eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. So today, as a nation, as a whole, Israel is in spiritual blindness because they have rejected the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, what happened to Israel can happen to anyone today. Because I don't want us to just think about Israel. I want us to think about ourselves. I I want us to think about our neighbors and our friends who live all around us. You know, spiritual blindness can happen to anyone, anyone. If a person hears the truth over and over again but doesn't respond to the truth that he or she hears, the time will come when they will be unable to respond to the truth. Or they will hear the truth, but they will be insensitive to the truth. They, they will be calloused to the truth. Another way to put it, it will come in one ear and it will go out the other. So you can come to church and hear God's word preached Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, year after year after year. But if you never respond to that truth, if you never obey that truth, you'll become blind to the truth. And you will hear it, but you will not understand it and it will not mean anything to you. The cure to spiritual blindness is to respond to God's truth. You know, that's why it's so important when we come to church, you know, not just to hear the word, but to obey the word. As James says, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And and if we become doers of the word, we will never be spiritually blind, but we will have eyes that are spiritually attuned to what God wants to teach us. Well, next, Paul quotes David in Psalm 69. And that quotation is found in verses 9 and 10. And David says, Let their table, speaking of the Jewish people, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Now, what do these words mean? I I just want to point out... One phrase, let their table become a snare and a trap. He's speaking of Israel, unbelieving Israel, but what does that mean? I believe it means that Israel's blessings, and remember there are many. We saw all of the blessings that God had blessed Israel in chapter 9. I believe it means that Israel's blessings have turned into a curse to them. Israel's spiritual blessings should have led them to Christ. But instead, they became a snare to them. Because they thought that they could earn God's acceptance by their good works. It became a snare to them. And what should have led them to Christ has kept them from Christ. Well, God's not through with the Jewish people. And there's a second reason. It is evident that God has not forsaken Israel. And that is because Israel's unbelief is not permanent. Israel's unbelief is not permanent. It's not total and it's not permanent. Look at verse 11, the first part of the verse. It says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they may fall? In other words, did Israel stumble and fall beyond recovery? In other words, is their fall permanent? Is there no hope for Israel? That's the question. 
And Paul's answer is the very same thing in verse 11. By no means. By no means. Now, we need to understand that God did not cause Israel to stumble. Israel caused their own stumbling. But God, in his sovereign plan, has used it to accomplish two amazing purposes. And the first purpose is, God used that in his sovereign plan, their stumbling, to offer salvation to the Gentiles. That's what he says. He says it two places. He says it in verse 11, the second part of the verse. He says, rather, through their, that is Israel's trespass, their unbelief, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And then in verse 12, he says, now, if their, that is Israel's trespass, means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, the gospel went first to the Jewish people. I mean, we see this throughout the New Testament. In fact, you can trace it through the life of Christ. Jesus went to the Jew first. In one place, he says, I have come only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus went to the Jew first and offered himself as, as, his, as their Messiah. And we also can trace this through the book of Acts. Who did Paul go to first? He went to the synagogues, didn't he? Every, Lord, every Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue to preach the gospel. But when the Jewish people turned away and rejected the gospel, he went to the Gentiles who were receptive to the gospel message. You know, this is amazing. And, and this is just an indication of how awesome our God is. God in his sovereignty used Israel's rejection of the gospel for a glorious purpose. To provide an opportunity for Gentiles to hear the gospel and be saved. See, God used something bad. He didn't cause it. But God used something bad. Israel's unbelief to accomplish an amazing good. Gentiles' salvation. In fact, we're here today. We're here today as believers in Jesus Christ. Because of God's amazing, sovereign plan. Secondly, God... Use Israel's rejection of the gospel and the Gentiles' acceptance of the gospel to make Israel jealous. To make Israel jealous. Look at verse 11. In other words, he wants them saved too. God wants them saved too. He says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Look at verses 13 and 14. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles... Insomuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. You see what he's saying? God wants to use our salvation and, and the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ to make the Jewish people jealous and want to believe in Jesus as well. In fact, that should be true of anybody. Everywhere. 
In other words, we should live such holy, godly lives. We should be so filled of God and Christ that it will make the unsaved world jealous and want what we have and seek Christ as their Savior. You know, the question is, how are we doing in provoking that jealousy? And sometimes I don't think we're doing too good. Now let's go back to the original question. The original question is, how do we know Israel's fall is not permanent? How do we know it's not permanent? And Paul gives two illustrations. And I admit, you know, these verses are not easy. Okay? I guess that's why God put me here, to help us all understand it. They're not easy. And the first, the first illustration is the lump of dough. Look at verse 16. Paul says, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now let's just think about this lump of dough. Paul is talking about the Old Testament offering of first fruits. Okay? And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that in this offering, the priest would take some of the dough. He would take some of the dough from the larger lump, that was the first fruits, and offer it to God. Now, the point Paul is making is this. If the first fruits is holy and acceptable to God, certainly the rest of the lump is. Now, we need to ask the question, who was the first fruits of Israel? Abraham. What do we know about Abraham? Oh, he was a man of faith. You know, I think what it says, and I think is, I think is Genesis chapter fifteen and verse seventeen. I'm not sure. It says Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Oh, he was a man of faith, and his faith in in God made him acceptable to God. God received him through his faith. Now, what Paul is saying, if Abraham was accepted by God because of his faith, surely his natural descendants who have faith in Abraham, the faith of Abraham, will be too. In other words, if Abraham was accepted by God, certainly his descendants who have the faith of Abraham, faith in God, will be accepted too. And then he uses this illustration of the root and the branches. The very same, it means the very same thing. If the root is holy, if the root is acceptable, who's the root? The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If the root is holy, those who have their faith in God, certainly the branches that come from the root, the descendants of Abraham who have faith in God, they are acceptable as well. But the next illustration that he uses is the olive tree. And this is the most important one. And it's probably the least understood today. I want us to read it, verses 17 through 21. He uses the olive tree. He uses the olive tree to show that Israel's fall is not permanent. But if some of the branches were broken off, he says, and you... Although a wild olive shoot, talking about the Gentiles, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be 
arrogant towards the branches, that is Israel, if you are members, if, if you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So here Paul uses the illustration from nature, horticulture, to show that Israel's fall is not permanent. Now we need to define a few of these um, things. The olive tree is Israel, and you can you can just go through the Old Testament. Many times the nation of Israel is pictured as an olive tree. So that's easy. That's it. The olive tree is Israel. The roots of the olive tree pictures the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were the foundation um, of the uh, nation Israel. The natural olive branches that are broken off are the Jews. They are broken off. Why? Because of their unbelief, their rejection of Christ as their Messiah. The wild olive branches that is grafted in, well, that's us Gentiles who believe. So what Paul is saying, as Gentile believers, we're blessed to be grafted in to the people of God. We've been grafted in to the people of God. But Paul warns us not to become arrogant and say, we're, we, we're grafted in and they are broken off. He doesn't want us to become proud. And he says the only reason we Gentiles are grafted in is because of our faith in Christ, not because there's any good in us, not at all. And Paul is quick to say if God can graft in a wild olive branch, Gentiles, how much more will he be able to graft back in the natural olive branches, that is the Jews? And he says they will be grafted back in when they turn to Christ. And he basically says that in verses 22 through 24. We won't read that again. But there's a third reason. It is evident that God has not forsaken Israel. And that is because, and this is the climax of it all, Israel's future salvation is certain. It's certain. It's going to happen. Listen to verse 25, what Paul says. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Do you see what Paul is saying? This spiritual blindness that has come upon Israel will not be forever. It will be lifted up when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Today, the gospel is going out to the Gentiles. That's, what go, that's what's going on in this present age. God is pouring out his grace to the Gentiles. He is doing what? He's building up his church, which is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. But when this age, this present age, has run its course, God will once again deal primarily with his people Israel. When will that be? When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, the fullness of the Gentiles will end at the rapture of the church. At the rapture of the church, Jesus is going to come for his church, and he's going to take us to heaven. Then 
God is going to be dealing with Israel to bring them to faith in Jesus as their Messiah. And what will he use to do it? Well, the persecution that Israel will face during the tribulation will turn their hearts to Jesus. And the entire nation living at that time will be saved. Just as Saul of Tarsus was saved in one day on the Damascus Road, just as the 144,000 will be saved one day during the tribulation, the entire nation of Israel will come to Christ and put their faith in Jesus as their Messiah. It will happen when Jesus returns to this earth to establish his millennial kingdom. Now, listen to what Paul says in verse 26 and 27. He says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, God's word is what it says it is or is not. And God says very plainly, all Israel will be saved. Does that mean all Jews from the very beginning to the end will be saved? No. Those who are living at this present time, at the very end of the tribulation period, will be saved. How's it going to happen? The deliverer will come from Zion. That's Jesus Christ. And he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. You know, people say, you mean the entire nation? No, those who are living at Jesus' return. All Israel will be saved. Now, if God can save an individual... He can save a nation. You know, I personally believe that Paul was thinking about the future salvation of Israel when he wrote these words about the Lord's appearance after his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared, that is, Jesus appeared also to me. In other words, Paul viewed his own conversion as being untimely born. I, I believe that means prematurely saved be a, before the appointed time. What time is he referring to? I believe it's the time of Israel's final national salvation. Israel will be saved and the millennial kingdom And in the millennial kingdom, all of the covenant promises that God made with Israel will be fulfilled. And just think what a glorious day that's going to be. Israel will be gathered together in the land that he gave them under her Messiah in the blessings of God's salvation. Now, Paul in chapter 11, he just ends with an outburst of praise and worship. And I want us to close with these words. Notice what he says in verse 33 and following. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. In other words, our finite minds cannot grasp the greatness of God. I mean, none of us can fully understand this great purpose and salvation that we have looked at. You know... We cannot comprehend the depth of his riches, the depth of his wisdom, the depth of his knowledge, 
We can't figure out God no matter how hard we try because his ways are beyond finding out. Now, Paul asked three questions that should bring us all to our knees in worship. And I want us to look at these three, these three questions as we close. The first one is this. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Are you smart enough to figure out what God is thinking? That's what he's saying. Are you smart enough to understand all of his plans and his purposes? Of course not. The second question is, who has been his counselor? Who is smart enough to give God any advice about anything? Who is smart enough to tell God what he ought to be doing? Then the third question is, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who has given God something that he does not already have? All that we have. Everything that we have, all that we are belongs to him. Everything. That home you live in, that car you drive, that 401k, it's all his. We don't even tithe to pay God back. Every penny we possess belongs to him. Not just the 10%, but the 100%. He gives to us. We don't give to him. He owns cattle on a thousand hills. All of the silver and all of the gold belongs to him. And in verse 36, Paul says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. Notice, all things come from him. All things are provided through him. And all things are for him, for his glory. To him be glory forever. Amen. God is faithful to his people Israel. All the promises that he made to them will be fulfilled to the letter. And God is faithful to us as his church. And all the promises that he has given to us in this book will be kept by him, every single one. You know, the greatest promise of all is the promise of our salvation. And you know, it's just spelled out very simply in that that one Chapter and verse that we all know. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Everybody. The Jew and the Gentile. Those who have, those who have not. God loves the, the sinner. God loves the saint. God loves the everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His one and only son. That whosoever believes, puts their trust and faith in him alone, shall not perish, that is, to spend eternity separated from him, but have, at that very moment of faith, eternal life. That's the greatest promise of all. And my friend, my question to you this morning is, have you received that salvation that we have in Jesus Christ? See, the way of salvation has always been the same from the very beginning to the very end. The way of salvation for the Jew was the very same, to put their faith and trust in God and Him alone. And that's the same condition of salvation that is required today, to put our faith and trust in God, Jesus Christ. I'm going to quote the... The little song that we've already sung. I don't know if we sang this or not, but it's one of my favorite. 
It goes like this. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known. Nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart. Nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the spirit moves convincing men of sin. Revealing Jesus through his word, creating faith in him. And then there's the refrain. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. My friend, have you made that commitment? Have you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and him alone to take you to heaven? For all eternity? Have you put your destiny in his hands? Have you made that commitment with him? Well, he will keep that promise to you until the end. And my friend, if you're here today and you've never put your trust in Christ, I cannot think of a better time than today than to do it. Invitation time is the time for us to respond to him. We've heard his word. Now it's our time to respond to him. My friend, if you were without Christ, I would love to pray with you. I'm going to be up front for this invitation time. And if you'd like to kneel in prayer or you'd like for me to pray with you, I'd love to do that. As we sing this hymn of invitation together, let's stand.